As we were moving through our service this morning and various men were coming to lead our our minds and our, our hearts in certain aspects of that worship, I couldn't help but notice the diversity of generations uh, that stood in uh, this pulpit and that have led us this morning. And I believe that's how the Lord's Church was intended uh, to operate and to function, and we'll talk some about that uh, this morning. But among those who, who, uh, who stood here, you had, you had young men who came to us at, at a very early age in life and have grown into uh, leaders, and we're thankful for that. You have individuals who've been here a number of years. I won't put anyone in any particular category. You can survey the, the list of those who served and find out which ones are old and young. But um, when, we, when we finished the, the opening and um, we went into our scripture reading, Caleb came and led our scripture reading, and I, I thought about it at that moment, and it just sort of magnified throughout the service. So I, I, I thought about saying it then, so I'll say it as a result of that. Um, and I hope that he doesn't mind me saying this, I am extremely proud of the man that Caleb has grown to be and the effort that he has made uh, to reclaim or claim his position in Christ and to be a part, an active part of this congregation. I have grown to love and appreciate him over the last several months, and um, I know that he would want and, and covet your prayers uh, for his family, and uh, we pray for them daily. And would encourage you to do the very same thing. Um, sometimes being a part of a family means that we share and bear struggles. And uh, certainly we would want to do that with anyone, especially with that family at this time. When the New Testament speaks of unity, when it speaks of oneness, it does so because it has removed, Christianity that is, has removed any real genuine barrier to our togetherness. If you think about it, the, 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 the pull and push and purpose of Christianity has and does eliminate any division, any reason for being divided. You see, the greatest source of division in our world is sin. And Christ came that he might eradicate sin, he might take it away and destroy it, so that we might be one together. But in doing so, as you read through various passages and, and from various writers in the New Testament, he also destroyed racial and national lines, didn't he? Put, putting all in one body where religion had in the past been segmented off by, by geographic location and by nationality and heritage. Now all men of every nation, of every tribe under heaven can come be one in Christ. To a certain degree, he broke down the, the gender distinction. Maybe not in the roles that we fulfill, but in our, our, our worthiness of salvation, our stand before him. He would say, in Christ there is neither male nor female. He broke down for us the, the social class barrier. That it doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor, if you are someone who is born into slavery or someone who's born into riches, that in Christ all men are made one. And friends, I believe we should spend a lot more time in our studies with people and our conversations with people emphasizing that aspect of Christianity. I think it's one of the greatest motivations we have to share the gospel, and it's one of the greatest motivations that people have to respond to the gospel. In a world, because it's fallen, because it has sin in it, that segments off in all these different avenues and all these different small groups and all these different divisions... 
the one true body of believers can say, we're one. Come be a part. Everyone has a place. Everyone belongs. Everyone is supposed to be here. There's no sections or segments or divisions among us. Not only should it be possible and necessary, it should be celebrated. Okay, so when we come into the church, we are made one. We submit to Jesus, accept his grace. The blood of Christ destroys all sin, all racial, all gender, all national, all class divisions. In fact, in the end, when those who don't embrace that view of unity, we end up looking foolish, don't we? When someone calls us on it, when we do divide over the smallest of things, when we do continue to, to, to highlight and notice racial division and then we, we practice it in the church, we look foolish. At least to the generation that comes along behind us that sees that, that we didn't fulfill what we were supposed to fulfill. But still, and I said all of that to say this, even when we try our hardest to maintain a division-free experience, if you will, in the Lord's church. Sometimes even our attempts at growth and togetherness and, and, and progress actually, again, create division. Again, not, not necessarily a sinful issue at all, but one that could lead to us not being as united as we can. Here's what I mean by that. How do we instruct and teach and fellowship in the Lord's church for the most part. Isn't it in segmented groups? I mean, tonight we're going to meet for Bible class, and we're going to divide off by, by age and by grade. And if things were different, we would even divide off in the building into different parts, uh, as we did when we first started back, by, by age even among those that are of adult age. Now, I, I understand the purpose of it, and I think that you do too. You, you can't teach a 2-year-old like you teach a 22-year-old, and so it's of necessity that we divide off. But then what do we sometimes do with those divisions? Well, we'll have a, an outing or a gathering for this age group and for that age group. And all of a sudden, you look down the road, and the congregation as a whole isn't a congregation as a whole. It's made up of 5 to 10 to 15 different smaller group segments that really haven't done a lot to cross those lines that's interesting to me because the bible is clear not just about how we're made one but even when it comes to our growth that it is of necessity that we cross those generational lines do you remember what paul wrote to titus in titus chapter 2 he said beginning in verse 4 so that they, that is talking about the, the older women, so that they may encourage the young women to do what? To love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, to, 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 to be pure, workers at home, kind, subject to their own husbands. And then he would pick up in, in the next verse, in verse 6, and he would say, likewise, I would urge the young men to be sensible and that the old men to teach them those things. So even in the way that we instruct, the way that we grow, it will not be complete as God would have it, until there's a portion of that, until there's a part of that, that, that makes it intentional to come across those generational lines and make relationships and friendships in the church. And so in our list of four friends, we're going to cheat a little this morning, 
Because we have one more sermon left next week, and, and I'll just tell you that the greatest friend that all of us need is Jesus. We're going to talk about that friendship next week. But there is a need for all of us who have in our lives a Paul and or a Timothy. I said cheap because there are two names on the screen this morning. But it would really depend on where you are in life, and maybe you're, you're far enough advanced, but yet not enough that you can reach backwards and have one and forward and have the other, and that's great. But every one of us needs a a cross-generational friend or set of friends in the Lord's church that might help us and encourage us, inspire us, and teach us. I I chose Paul and Timothy simply because they seem to be the the one that stands out more. From the first time that they meet, for example, and we'll look at this passage in a moment in Acts chapter 16, They are mere acquaintances. Paul learns of this young man, knows him, gives us, Luke does a little bit of detail as to his history, and then Paul takes him with him and moves on. But do you know that later in the biblical text, Paul is going to call Timothy his son in the faith, his true son, 1 Timothy 1-2. He's also going to say of him in Ephesians or in Philippians 2 and verse 19 that there's no man that cares for the state of the Philippian church to the same level that Paul does, except for Timothy. How in the world did this this cross-generational relationship, this young man and this older man, this new Christian, this this aged apostle, although not so aged when we meet him in Acts 16, but older than Timothy and certainly more seasoned than Timothy, how did they move from being acquaintances to be an understudy or an apprentice to being friends? to being co-workers, to Paul trusting some of his closest friends and relationships to Timothy. I believe there's a pattern in Scripture that's revealed to us. And so I encourage us this morning to consider this relationship in in four stages. And again, it doesn't doesn't fill every gap and every hole in, in how to make these relationships. This isn't a do step one, do step two, do step three. Go out tomorrow and you'll find someone older than you, but I will tell you that that my life would not be what it is, personally, just personally from my standpoint, if not for the people who were ahead of me on the journey, who took time to reach back, who saw my mistakes and and my, my shortcomings and my inconsistencies, maybe my potential and the opportunities, and said, I'm going to invest in in this young man, this this family. I've told some of you before, um, years ago, about a man that we almost had convinced to move to Texas with us from Mississippi. He was a widower, no children. We had grown so close. In fact, he's like a, another father or grandfather to me since passed away. I, there's no way that I would be standing here with any amount of confidence today if not for Mr. Chuck. There's no way. I didn't know I needed that, but he did. And he took that time and he invested. And I believe that the Lord's church can only be one as it ought to be when it is full of Paul's and Timothy's. Maybe not preachers and understudies, but older, wiser Christians that bring along those who are younger and cross those generational lines. So so four quick steps. I was going to say when we began... Uh, the sermon this morning that, you know, when we, we shifted our 
our emphasis on Sunday morning back in March of, of last year and began to have worship only, uh, part of that was to elevate our, our desire to be together, our togetherness in worship, to sing more, to pray more, and even mention then that sometimes we're going to sing and pray more than we preach. Now, I haven't done the math. That probably hasn't happened a whole lot, just because I'm the one that's up here. Probably hasn't happened. I intended for it to happen today, but look at the clock. It may not. But, but just four quick things about how we can, we can watch this progress of cross-generational friendships. Paul's to Timothy and Timothy to Paul. Number one, there must be conversion. There has to be conversion. Now, I realize that saying that is simplistic and maybe gives the wrong impression that what I mean by this is we have to start these relationships before the, these young men, these young women are ever Christians. And I don't know that that's the case. In fact, it, didn't, it wasn't the case with Paul and Timothy. But, but I did want to make this point, and that is, and as, as, as you turn to Acts 16, if you will, we'll, we'll read from that in just a moment. I'll make this point as you turn there. Our young people are in a unique situation if they're reared in a Christian home, but they're also in a very difficult situation if they're reared in a Christian home. When we talk about conversion, when we talk about taking someone who's a babe in Christ, who's a new Christian, who's relatively young in the faith, we, we take someone who has just experienced in the last several years of their life a radical transformation, right? That's what conversion is. Someone who has, who has been out of Christ, lived in the world, obeyed Satan, and now given all that up, come to Christ and wants to, to, to change the world because Christ has changed his or her life. That's what conversion usually, usually stems from. You remember Acts 2 and being pricked in the heart and being, being forgiven of that and then continuing to preach. And when they were scattered in Acts 8, they whenever were preaching the word, they turned the world upside down. Why? Because they were truly converted people. I say our young people are at a unique situation and somewhat at a disadvantage because most of the young people raised in the Lord's church don't go out from home at 12 or 13 or 14 years old and live like the prodigal and have stories to tell of their hedonistic ways and then are brought back to Christ at 14, 15, or 16 in the home. Most of our young people are taught and reared and baptized in a home where no real radical change has ever had to take place in life. Now, I'm not suggesting that it doesn't happen. Please understand me. Speaking in generalities about our young people, about the young people in the church, and for that reason, conversion, genuine conversion, is a strange concept to them. When I, when I was in, in preaching school, we sang the song on one occasion in chapel, Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified. And had one of the instructors actually call me out. I didn't lead it, but he called me out in chapel asking me, Wayne, how many years did you live in such vanity that you didn't care Jesus died for you? I was 17 years old. I had been raised in a Christian home. I don't know that a single year had ever gone by in my life that I didn't care that Jesus died for me. But that song is a reflection of the heart of one who's, who's lived in the world and been converted. And sometimes our young people don't buy in. Sometimes the, the Timothys that we need in the church are not Timothys because they've never had to leave anything and come into anything. They've always been a part of that. Now, I don't want to cast our children to the wolves so we can go rescue them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just suggesting if we're going to train and mentor our youth, we're going to have to acknowledge the fact that it's not the same as bringing them in someone in from the outside world. Yet I do believe in this first step process, there does need to be conversion. 
look at Timothy and, and Paul's situation in Acts 16. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. Now, according to the text, then, he's a disciple. That could mean he had begun to be a learner, had not yet obeyed the gospel, because as they made disciples, they then baptized them. But I believe the context indicates Timothy was already not only a disciple, a follower, but a believer, obedient Christian, washed in the blood of Christ. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted this man to go with him. Okay, so you have, you have a desire for a, a, an older mentor, younger understudy relationship. But notice what Paul does. He desires for this young man to go with him. He desires to train him in ministry. But the Bible says that he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews. Now, you and I know that was not necessary for salvation under the, under the new covenant. Timothy was already a Christian, had not, had not yet been circumcised, and yet in order to buy in to this mission, to, to understudy under Paul, to truly be the, the missionary he needed to be, he had to make an even greater sacrifice. And so in that sense, Paul upped the ante a little bit for him. Paul made it necessary for him to invest even more not in order they might be saved, but in order that he might be a, an understudy of Paul. I suppose if Timothy had refused this uh, request, if he had refused this assignment, maybe Paul would have found someone else. When it comes to those that we're going to mentor, we're going to reach back across generational lines and find someone, maybe not blood-related to us, and say, listen, I'm going to take you under my wing. We're going to go to lunch a couple of times a month, and we're going, to, we're going to go visiting together. We're going to talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about life. We're going to talk about marriage. But I'm going to need you to buy in to the mission and purpose of the church. A challenge laid for. Because I believe our youth need that as much as they need anything. Yes, baptism for remission of sins absolutely necessary in their lives. Attending Bible class and Bible bowls and going to church camp, absolutely necessary. But you know that they do a lot of that because everyone else does a lot of that? In fact, you get this strange look, right, when you have camp coming up and you've got 10 kids going and that 11th kid says, no, I don't want to go. Why don't you want to go? Why don't you want to be a part? There's almost peer pressure sometimes in the church to do those things. And so it's an understood thought. What about when an older person comes along and says, hey, I want to take time with you but I'm going, to, I'm going to need to see you a little bit more active. I need to see you a little bit more involved. I, by this time next year, I, I want to have, have, have watched you lead singing in the, in the worship assembly. I, I want to hear you read scripture. I want to see you lead a public prayer. I, I want to know about you, 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 you going and seeing someone in the hospital or, 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 or writing cards or, 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 or dropping food off at, at someone's home. First step in this process is this conversion idea, and that is an expectation beyond what they already are, to be something more. Step number two, there's instruction. There's instruction. Now, I understand this has to work both ways. Most of what I have at least designed in my mind to say this morning has to do from the Paul aspect of looking down or back or over at those who need to be brought along. But if you're going to have a, a teacher-student relationship... One's going to have to be knowledgeable and willing to teach, and one's going to have to be humble and willing to receive. That's just the way it works. Um, you can teach and teach and teach all day, but a person isn't humble enough to receive it, they haven't really gained anything out of it, and there hasn't been a real, genuine friendship this Paul Timothy type made. 
But there needs to be instruction. Now, that instruction can be done in parabolic form. A lot of times it is. Life situations happen. Things come up. Struggles are made. And, 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 a, and a wise individual can step in and say, listen, here's what happened. Here's why it happened. Here's a Bible principle that you can make. Change that. Here's a story to help. But let's not dismiss the value in the local church setting of one-on-one cross-generational Bible study. Of asking a young man or a young woman, can we have a regular weekly Bible study together on Tuesday nights? Saturday mornings, can we meet and study the book of 1 Timothy, or Proverbs, or James? Instruction about morality, about the history of, uh, of Christianity, about the doctrines that we embrace and the ones that we reject. <coughs> about service and sanctification. Dealing with difficult questions and concepts in Scripture. Truly investing in teaching the next generation. Every Timothy in the church needs a Paul to do that for them. Now imagine, we've said for a long time that our Bible class programs and our sermons are a supplement to what our children should be getting at home. That mom and dad should be the primary teachers. You know, the church has thrived well with that model for a lot of years. A deep, entrenched Bible study on Sunday and Wednesday and concerned and godly parents who teach them outside of Sunday. What if you added another component to that? Another person that came along in each individual's life and said, I want to help you. I want to study. Now, mind you, this doesn't have to be 65 to 15-year-olds. This can be 65 or 55 or 75 to 25-year-olds and 35-year-olds. Those cross-generational relationships that we might study together, we might learn, we might know about what submission is, about what service is, about, about holding others in regard, of, of putting others first. There needs to be instruction. Number three, there needs to be illustration. There must be illustration. Showing them how to do it. Just recently, I learned of, of, of an elder in the Lord's Church. Many of you would probably know him if I mentioned his name, at least the congregation where he's an elder. But I found out that among all the things that he does for the youth of that congregation, he actually invites the young men over to his home to either work in his woodshop with them or some other physical hands-on task. And one day... We were in the area, Shannon K. drove by the house. He had a, a, a child of one of the members in the yard showing him how to mow the grass. Hands-on, showing him how to do these life skill things. And I thought at that moment, what a phenomenal concept of cross-generational friendships in the Lord's church. Of taking time. Now, this is also a man who, when services are dismissed where, they're, 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 where, where he's an elder, that all the young kids go to the back. Now, that happens sometimes, but usually it's to mingle and to get out early and to talk or whatever. This elder lines them up inside the auditorium in the back, standing shoulder to shoulder with him during the last song as they sing together and pray together. You don't know why they do that with him? Because they've been in his house working on wood and cutting grass together illustration of what life looks like of what it involves we need that I, I i can almost guarantee you there is somebody sitting in this room right now 
somewhere between the age of 15 years old and 40 years old. And it's thinking to themselves, that is exactly what I need. I can also guarantee you there's somebody sitting in this room this morning between the ages of, of 45 and 85 who's saying, I could do that. I can provide that. The question is, will we? Or will it just be a sermon? Will it just be a neat story about another congregation, about another man somewhere, about, about another woman and her relationship with a young lady in the church? Or will we really illustrate this to them? Acts 17, 14, Acts 17, 15, Acts 8, 18, 5, Acts 19, 22, they all talk about Paul's traveling and Timothy's being there. He saw it, friends. He saw Paul make sacrifices. He saw him write letters. He saw him struggle over church decisions. He saw him cry over those who deserted him and celebrate when new people became Christians. He illustrated the life he wanted Timothy to live. Finally, there has to be deployment. There has to be that, that moment that maybe we haven't taught someone everything that we know, but we've taught them enough, and now they have to go and do likewise. They have to go and live that life. 1 Timothy 1.3, Paul says, I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia to remain on at Ephesus. So if, you, if you've never been a preacher who has left a congregation for whatever reason you did to go preach somewhere else, then you can't truly understand the weight of concern and sometimes anxiety for the brethren that you're leaving behind. Not, not that you were the answer to all of their problems. You may have been the source to all their problems. But you still worry about what you've left and what the wake's going to be and how things are going to work out. And you're going to struggle. And most of the time, if preachers leave on, on good terms, they have a, a recommendation. Someone or a group of someones, they would say to an eldership, hey, if, if, if you want to, consider these men. I think they would, do, they would do great. You realize the trust you have and the names you put on that list? Paul told the Ephesians, Here, here's a man I trust for you. I've labored with you. I've loved you. I've watched you grow. But here's a man I trust. You, you can have Timothy. I would dare say Paul might have even said he's the best I've got to offer. What a tremendous idea. Listen, we must empower and trust the next generation of the Lord's church. We have to. It is, it is paramount. It's really what made it so neat this morning that from where I stand, the next generation had a lot to do with leading this worship service. There are some younger than them. They needed to empower them, trust them. Are they going to make mistakes? Sure. So are the ones of us who have been doing it for a long time. We're going to make them. It's really not about the polish, is it? It's not about the show. It's not about having every word right or every note right or, or remembering every point that you're going to make. It's about training and empowering a generation to do to the next generation, what you want to do for them. You see, it's in these Timothy and Paul relationships that we'll actually find Nathans and a Barnabas and someone who exhibits the spirit of Jesus himself for us.
Church cannot be what it ought to be unless we make a diligent effort to cross those lines. Listen, I know a lot of sermons call for repentance and they call for baptism and they call for people to come home. And certainly that invitation is open and we're going to sing a song to encourage you to, to, to do that in just a moment. If you want to know more about how to become a Christian, we would love to study with you. But I really, really hope and pray, and I've prayed this all week, this week, that this sermon today might lead to just a single conversation or phone call that says, hey, how about let's go to lunch this week? I talked to you about your place in the Lord's church and what the Lord has, can do with you and for you if you'll invest a little bit more than you've invested right now. Or I've seen potential in you. And I don't know that I'm the one, but I'd be willing to, to, to give you some time to help you develop that. I'm going to teach class in a quarter or two. How about you go in there with me and teach alongside of me? Let's prepare lessons together. If just one conversation comes from today's discussion like that, friends, we'll be a stronger church. We'll be closer to being one as Christ called us to be. If you have a need to come to Christ this morning, the invitation is open, extended, and we beg for you to come while we stand and sing.